is 80s Revisited. I'm your producer, Jesse Sedgley. And now, your host, Trey Harris. Earth is on the edge of destruction. We cannot survive unless a way can be found to respond to the probe. The key to saving the future. Spock, you're talking about the end of every life on Earth. Can be found only in the past. We're going to attempt time travel. Sulu, take us home. These this are the is a perfect opportunity while they're time traveling to go forward a couple years to get the Motley Crue song, Home Sweet Home, and put mm-hmm. in the trailer at that moment. And that would have been epic. But alas, they forgot to do that because they were too busy getting a couple of fucking whales. Mm. Uh, that's right. Welcome back, everybody. Not sequelitis, even though we're talking about a sequel to the latest and greatest episode of 80s Revisited. I, of course, am your host, Captain, or excuse me, at the, at the recording of this, Admiral Trey T. Harris. With me, as always, the Spock to my Captain, I almost said Picard, <laughs> Captain Kirk, Jesse Sedgley. Yes, I am. Very logical, Jesse. Uh, quick note, quick note before you get into more into Star Trek. Uh, last episode did cut off before the end. However, it has been fixed. So thank you, Ben. And uh, hold on, I got your name, Ryan, for letting us know that. <laughs> it is fixed. You can now get the exciting finale of last week's episode. But nevertheless, thanks for bringing it up. Yep. Got it nice and covered for you. Thanks. Well, Jesse did all the work. I just told him. So, but anyway, <laughs> Star Trek Four: The Voyage Home, November twenty sixth, nineteen eighty six. I distinctly remember seeing this in the theater because uh, in the in that point in the eighties, after eighty three, we didn't have Star Trek. I mean, uh, Star Wars movies. So Star Trek was the big sci fi thing, uh, you know, that came out regularly at least more often, I should say, than Star Wars in the 80s. Uh, IMDb gives this one 7.3. Rotten Tomatoes, 82%. Critics, 81% audience. I am not in either of those percentages. Spoiler alert. $25 million estimated budget. uh, Opened at 16.8, which was good enough to make it number one for the week when it came out on November 26th. Thanksgiving weekend, actually, is what it was. Uh, Number two was An American Tale. And number three was Crocodile Dundee. Uh, in its 10th week, was still number three. And number four, I had to put this on there because, you know, woke alert, coming early. Uh, Actually, we need a trigger effect. (laughs) Trigger effect, number four, Song of the South, re-release by Disney. Yes, that's right. In 1986, the now banned film Song of the South was in theaters and made enough money to be number four. Thanksgiving weekend, 1986. How nice. the times have changed. Domestically, Star Trek Four would go on to gross $109.7 million. Obviously, a huge success from a franchise that always tends to make its money back for the most part, at least to my knowledge. I'm not a Trekkie. Uh, I think, I believe I, the correct term for me would be a Trekker. I think if you're a Trekkie, you like the old series. If you're a Trekker, you were more like the next generation. Mm. I, I'm, I mean, I like them all. Don't get me wrong, but uh, you know, TNG was the one I like. Yeah. I just absolutely loved and uh, watched it religiously. And you know, there's a reason why TNG lasted what, like eight or nine seasons, and the OG was three or four. <laughs> you know, if you're a Trekkie or a Trekker, don't hate me. I'm just, I'm just, you know, I'm telling you now, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not none of those to where I can say. Well, actually, in the in episode season two, episode fourteen, the Klaxon imperative is when we first saw the bird of prey. I don't know that shit. And I know you don't talk that way. <laughs> I'm just using it as for illustrative purposes. 
It's all we're all friends here, no matter what fandom you fall into. Uh, anyway, this was directed by none other than Spock himself, Leonard Nimoy, a veteran of the podcast, not just in terms of starring in Star Trek two and three, but he also directed Three Men and a Baby, which we've covered on the podcast, as well as Star Trek three. And he also directed the my favorite ride. Uh, when I was younger at Epcot in Disney World, Body Wars, which you shrunk down and went into the body a la Fantastic Voyage, a movie that will be mentioned again very shortly. Uh, it was written by not one, not two, not three, but four people had to come up with this stupid plot about going <laughs> back in time to save the whales. Uh, let's see, Steve Mearson, he also wrote Double Impact. Peter Crikes, whoa, a Double Impact because he also wrote Double Impact. Co-wrote, I should say, along with Steve Mearson. Uh, Harv Bennett, he wrote Star Trek 2 through 5, so he's got some credit in the Star Trek universe. And last but not least, Nicholas Meyer wrote Star Trek 2, 5, and 6, and uh, underrated late 70s, unfortunately, not enough, not late enough to make it into the 80s revisited podcast film, uh, Time After Time, which if you haven't seen it, great movie. You got David Warner as Jack the Ripper, who goes back and who comes forward in time and is chased by H.G. Wells, who's played by Malcolm McDowell and Mary Steenburgen is in it. Cause if you didn't know it, Malcolm McDowell used to be married to Mary Steenburgen because they met on the set of that movie. A uh, great movie would be great for a remake. If you haven't seen it, uh, interesting plot, you know, you got HG Wells, the author of science fiction pursuing Jack the Ripper across time. It's fucking great. Uh, a great original idea, which is, you don't see too much of that these days. Uh, cinematography was by uh, uh, Donald Peterman, Better on the podcast. We talked about him when we made our triumphant return after the pandemic year with Cocoon. Uh, he's also the uh, cinematography for Splash, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, Point Break, Point Break, Point Break, <laughs> and of course, and uh, I say of course, like you know this, uh, Men in Black. So pretty much, it seems like, hey, we have some water scenes in our movie. We need Donald Peterman because you got Cocoon, Splash. Point Break, lots of movies involving water, and this one as well, obviously. Uh, so apparently people really like his work, Lighting Water. It seems like that's something that he made a career out of. The music was by Leonard Rosenman. He uh, he has a long career in the film industry. He also He's so old, was so old, he's passed away, I believe. He did the music for Rebel Without a Cause. Yeah, the one with James Dean. Battle for Planet of the Apes. And as I promised, another mention on the podcast, Fantastic Voyage. And more recently, I said recently, but <laughs> that's how long ago it was, RoboCop 2. Uh, so, you know, not a, I mean, the music, I didn't, I mean, of course, he's working, not all those are, with the exception of Rebel Without a Cause of Fantastic Voyage or, you know, properties in a series. So he didn't really have to do too much work, so to speak. He didn't write the Star Trek theme. He didn't write the RoboCop theme. Uh, but, of course, you know, he came in to do the music for the sequels. And, you know, music didn't stand out in this to me. It didn't you know, take away anything. So a very good mediocre job, Leonard. Good job. Mm. Uh, starring, of course, it's Star Trek. So guess what? William Shatner is in it as Admiral at the start of this film, James T. Kirk. Of course, T.J. Hooker, Rescue 911, and Priceline commercials these days. Mm -hmm. And just had a birthday. William Shatner is 91 years mm -hmm. old. And I got to say, like... I, I, He's been to space. I, I know. <laughs> That's true. Uh, uh, sorry, Jesse. You need to do air quotes. Space. Yeah, space. Uh, it's more space than you know, I've been to. <laughs> yeah, very true. And any of us probably will be. Well, maybe not, depending on the affordability right, of space right. travel in our lifetime. But uh, you know, it just you see him. He doesn't. He looks in no way that he would be ninety-one years old. So whatever he's done, whether it's his money or whatever it was, he looks fantastic for ninety-one years old. I mean, look at most other people who are ninety-one. They look way older than William Shatner does. 
Uh, of course, he could just be a reptilian wearing a human skin. That's for punish over the t- over time. Uh, we don't know. Uh, Leonard Nimoy, of course, returns as Spock. Uh, most notable role for uh, Leonard Nimoy, of course, would not be Spock, but his version, his musical talents in the Ballad of Bilbo Baggins. If you don't believe me, go mm-hmm. YouTube it. Terrible. Uh, but of course, also Transformers the movie. And of, cor- uh, of course, I was being facetious. Spock is his obvious uh, nom de plume, so to speak. I know that's an improper use of that, but I don't care. It sounds smart. And he did pass away in 2015 at the age of 83. Uh, so, wow, that was what, seven years ago? Yep, seven years ago, we lost Leonard Nimoy. Uh, DeForest Kelly as Bones, Dr. Henry McCoy. Wait, is it Henry McCoy? Yeah, Hank McCoy is... No, Henry, Hank, is it the Beat? Hank McCoy is X-Men. the Beast. Hank, yeah. When they call, if they call, is, don't they call him Henry sometimes, too? I don't no. know. No. Sorry, sorry, <laughs> Trek. It's definitely Hank in X-Men, but it seems like they also refer to him as Henry at some point. I don't know. I'm... X-Men history is fucked up, just like Star Trek history, too, sometimes. <laughs> anyway, Dr. McCoy, Bones, as we all know him, Star Trek 1 through 6, tons of 60s TV. He passed away in 1999. I think he was the first uh, principal cast member to pass away. He was only 79 years old in 99. Didn't even, unfortunately, get to see the turn of the millennium. Uh, but, you know, he's obviously him, Shatner, him, and every, all of the main characters from Star Trek, the old OG series, you know, they all, they've all done other things, but that they're all known for Star Trek, uh, you know, so they couldn't quite get past it, so to speak. But hey, Star Trek is a cultural icon. It's a good thing to be known for. Uh, James Duhon is Scotty. Uh, of course, he was in Star Trek one through six. Also a great, great cameo, I should say, in Loaded Weapon, where it's like, Scotty, get this coffee machine <laughs> fixed. I'm giving it all to Scott, Captain. Uh, of course, everybody likes to say that. And, you know, of course, in the lexicon of improperly quoted movies, beam me up, Scotty, which is never said in any Star Trek film or TV show ever. Uh, more on that at the end. But uh, I, wanted to, I do want to mention a little bit more about James Duhon, uh, who's a D-Day vet. And there's a scene in this film I'll get to in the trivia. I guess I'll get to it ahead. But when he's talking to, into the computer mouse, uh, you can see that he's missing one of his fingers. That's a finger he lost in the D-Day invasion. Uh, so bona fide mm-hmm. hero. But uh, there's a story, I heard this a long time ago, and every time I see or somebody mentions James Duhon or uh, Scotty from Star Trek, I think of this story, and I just wanted to share it in case anybody has never heard it. I think it's really, it's really sweet. It's really, it's really a good story. But he received a letter from a Star Trek viewer who told him she was in a bad place and suicidal. And in a video interview uh, by The Hollywood Reporter is kind of where he told this story. And he actually responded. He called her and said, hey – this is Jimmy Duhon, Scotty of Star Trek. I'm doing a convention in Indianapolis, and I want to see you there. He went on to explain he saw her, and this is his, his quote. Boy, I'm telling you, I couldn't believe what I saw. It was definitely suicide. Somebody had to help her somehow, and obviously she wasn't going to the right people, end quote. Uh, he told the woman about every surrounding convention that he was going to, some in nearby states, and he said, I want to see you at every one of those. And that went on for two or three years, maybe 18 times, he said, and all he did was talk positive things to her, and then all of a sudden, nothing. Didn't hear anything from her. He had no idea what was really happening to her because he never saved her address. And then eight years after the last singer, he got a letter from her, and it said, I do want to thank you so much for what you did for me. I just got my master's degree in electronic engineering. And Duhan, who played Scotty for the last time in 1994, Star Trek Generations, passed away in 2005 at 85. But he said that this interaction was his, quote, the best thing I have ever done in my life. So James Duhon, mm. not just a very good actor in Star Trek, but also a damn fine human being. 
and then of course George Takei as Hiroku Sulu, uh, Star Trek one through six, tons of TV and pretty much an internet meme god at this point in pop mm. culture. And he had a very different World War II experience from uh, James Duhon, who was fighting on the beaches of Normandy. Because uh, that's because George Takei was imprisoned in the internment, Japanese internment camps here in the United States, uh, first in uh, Arkansas and then California. And he actually had several relatives living in Japan during World War II. Among them, he had an aunt and an infant cousin who unfortunately just had the misfortune of living in Hiroshima and were both killed during the atomic bomb in the city. And in his own words, quote, my aunt and baby cousin were found burnt in a ditch in Hiroshima. Uh, at the end of the war, World War II, that is, of course, after leaving the internment camp, they were left without any bank accounts, home or family business, and they had no housing. And they actually, him and his family lived on Skid Row for five years. But he rose above all that. And, you know, he's amazing. I mean, uh, of course, a huge LBGTQA plus. I think I got all that right. I'm not sure. It keeps changing faster than I know. Uh, but nevertheless, <laughs> What was that? I didn't know there was an A at the end there. LGBTQIA? I don't know. It's something. It, oh, I'm close right, to it. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, forgive me, everybody in that community. I'm not sure exactly if I miss a consonant in there. I do apologize. Uh, Walter, uh, I always, I can never remember how about, I think it's Koenig as Chekhov. Of course, Star Trek 1 through 6, he's 85. Of course, mainly known as for saying nuclear vessels, which they make fun of in this movie. Mm. And the lovely and talented Michelle Nichols as Uhura, of course, Star Trek 1 through 6, 89 years young. Uh, She's a big, you know, advocate. She almost quit Star Trek, the original series, uh, until a letter from Martin Luther King Jr., like, you know, him telling her how important it was that they had that representation on TV. And she kept kept the role to this day. Well, I say to this day, but, you know, all through her. Before they, of course, they rebooted Star Trek, obviously. And then uh, another veteran of the podcast, Catherine Hicks as Gilligan, excuse me, Jillian. Uh, of course, Child's Play, Seventh Heaven. And she was actually, is, 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 and was and is married to Kevin Yeager, a makeup legend who helped uh, do Freddy's makeup. He did makeup for Jason, The Hidden, and the Bill and Ted trilogy. And most important for all you Nicolas Cage fans, face off. Uh, and Mark Leonard as Savick. Uh, again, if you're a Trekker, Trekkie, whatever the next word is in terms of Trek fans, uh, is Savick, Star Trek 1, 3, 4, and 6. And I believe he pops up on The Next Generation. And I think he played the dad. I think he replies the role in the, in the first reboot of Star Trek. I can't remember. Maybe I might be off on that. Uh, Jane Wyland, uh, she's the Aliens comm officer and the cameo, of course, Jane Wyland from the Go-Go's. Uh, most notably, veteran of the podcast on Bill and Ted as Joan of Arc. And then as in Clue as the singing telegram girl that gets shot by Professor Plum. Spoiler alert. Sorry. Mm. Uh, and then last but certainly not least, arguably one of I mean, uh, an unsung actor, I would say, uh, in, in terms of Star Trek lore. Again, casual Star Trek lore, I guess I should say. Brock Peters is Admiral Cartwright. Uh, he was actually Darth Vader in the radio dramas of Star Wars and Empire. Uh, he was also in Soylent Green. He was in one of my favorite uh, long forgotten 90s cartoon SWAT cats. Uh, but most importantly, he was Tom in To Kill a Mockingbird. Yes, the original. You've seen, if you haven't seen Star Trek 4, I'm sure, and you're old enough to listen to this podcast, you probably had to watch To Kill a Mockingbird uh, in school. Uh, at least if you're as old as I am, I'm sure you did. Uh, but he was Tom in To Kill a Mockingbird. Very, very talented, talented actor. And yeah, there's your cast. Of course, it's all your Star Trek regulars and then, you know, the sprinkling of. 
other characters. Now, this film, like I mentioned before, I saw it in the theater. And honestly, I don't think I've seen it again since then. Because when I got out of the theater, as a, as a six, seven-year-old kid, I did not like this movie. Uh, to this day, I absolutely hate, I hate the trope where you, the fish out of water trope. I hate it in science fiction movies. Uh, oh, we're in the, we're in a future show. Let's go to the present. Can't stand it. Now, has it been done well in the past? Absolutely. When I see it happen, or when I see it as a plot point in a movie, do my eyes roll very, very hard? Absolutely. Is it done well? Sometimes yes. Is it done bad? A lot. Uh, personally, I kind of think it's a little lazy. Uh, and that They did partially do it in modern time to cut down on the budget. Uh, but... I mean, let's let's here, let me break down the plot of it. You know, there's this strange monolith thing just zooming through space, and when it comes into contact with the any electronics, it just kills them. Like the you know, in the in the beginning, of the Saratoga ship is like, we have no power. It's it's destroying our power, and then it goes by the space station. It's like, oh, we lost all contact, and then it's getting to Earth, and it's destroying the Earth because it's making this weird noise, and nobody can figure out what the noise is. But then Spock, like, actually, you know, of course. You know, it's just, Captain, I put the sound underwater and it dramatically remembers, uh, resembles the sound of whales. It's like, okay, so it's it's calling for whales. <laughs> to me, it should have been dolphins is what it should have been in this film, because then it could be tied into Hitchhiker's Guide. <laughs> it could be tied into that universe. Or, you know, dolphins leaving Earth and everything. If you haven't read or watched Hitchhiker's Guide, you're not going to get that joke. You should if you haven't. Mm. So that's the plot. So they, and, you know, Here's, 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 and again, again, I, I do full disclosure. I, I like the Star Trek movies. Again, I'm not a huge fan to where I, I've watched every episode of the OG series, and I've probably seen 99% of the episodes of TNG because that was when I was younger and you know came on uh, what Thursday or Wednesday nights at nine o'clock on Fox. I had to watch it uh, Central Time Zone, so <laughs> I'm not sure what time it came on for other people, but uh, you know, so that that. You know, growing up, I watched these movies, obviously, and then TNG came out late '80s, and it was like, oh wow, you know, we got. Uh, and then the X Files came out, like sci-fi TV was a big deal late '80s, early '90s. Uh, you know, so I did grow up with this crew, which is why you know Generations was such a it was a huge deal for everybody in my generation and before who grew up on the OG Star Trek, having the two TV shows, you know, meet. And there's like, you know, that is involving a degree of time travel, but. Uh, not to sound two-faced, but it's done so much better to where it's not the fish out of water thing, which uh, again, trivia spoilers for this Leonard Nimoy, they, you know, he, they wanted to do, you know, the last three were really serious. So we want to make it a little lighthearted. Well, it's, you know, and there, there are moments in this, in this movie, don't get me wrong, that are great. Speaking of James Duhon, uh, where he's like, he's like, Oh, we can give you, what if I told you I can teach you how to make this? It's a plot point in the movie where they're making glass uh, and trying to get the pains for free to make a, a storage compartment for whales inside the Klingon bird of prey. And he goes to the computer. He's like, computer, bring up the formula for this. And so he's just talking to the computer like you would in the 23rd century, whenever Star Trek takes place, 200 years in the future. Mm. Uh, and like nothing's happened. And then DeForest uh, Bones is like, you got to here. You, he hands him the mouse. He's like, you got to use this. And in a great comedic moment, he takes the mouse like a CB radio and holds it to his mouth. It's like computer. Great little moment. That, that stuff's great. That stuff's funny. But the like the you know them in the in the uh, on the bus and all that you know it's it's got some funny moments it's it's it is entertaining to see the crew of the Enterprise in modern and I say modern day 1986 when it came out mm. uh, but beyond that it's just like this plot is 
this plot, let's be honest, I'll be honest with you, this plot is fucking stupid. They go back into, it is more logical. I mean, it's, Spock's always about logic. That's what bugs me so much. About, it's like, Captain, blah, 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 blah. Like, you know, uh, we can't stop this thing, but it would be logic. Uh, humpback whales don't exist. Uh, they're extinct now because, you know, we overfished, or not overfished because they're mammals. Uh, whale overhunted them, whatever you, whatever the correct thing would be. When I guess overfish would work because it is fishing boats that are killing whales. I guess you, you can overfish mammals. I don't know. If you're on the deadliest catch, let us know with an email at visit at gmail.com. Mm. But anyway, uh, you know, it, it's, it's kind of like the Armageddon uh, paradox. And I say that very facetiously. You know, like, huh, we have this meteor coming towards Earth, and it makes more, you know, in the movie logic, makes more sense to train drillers to be astronauts than astronauts have to drill a hole. You know, that kind of like it makes more sense for that. They should go back in time and bring aquatic animals back to the present to communicate with this. Thing. I, I find this plot, you know, it would have been fine for an episode of the TV show. Absolutely fine. I have no problem with it. Uh, but for one of the movies, especially, you know, I like Star Trek one. Good plot. A little too long. Star Trek two considered one of the best. Wrath of Khan. It's up there. Great tension. Action packed. Three. A lot of people hate three. I like three. You know, the whole like, you know, Christopher Lloyd's a great villain in uh, Star Trek three and the whole end twist of like they teleport to the bird of prey while the, the Klingons teleport to the Enterprise and they set it to self-destruct. I mean, you have the death of the Enterprise. You know, that's the equivalent at that point in time to the Millennium Falcon, like being destroyed uh, to give it another fandom <laughs> mm-hmm. to compare. it. I'm sure Star Trek purists hate when people compare it to Star Wars. Uh, yeah. But anyway, like, you know, if you. Uh, it, as a fan, you know, I am a fan, like I said, I am a fan of this series, but I, I've never liked this one. This one is often considered one of the best. There's like a, I say a running gag or a running, uh, you know, thought process, I guess would be a better way to put it in the Star Trek universe. The even number ones are the best ones, two, four, six. I agree with two and six, but again, I, I don't, I honestly don't think I've even seen this movie since the theater. Cause that's how much I disliked it. It's just, especially as a six-year-old kid, you know, you come off Star Trek Three, which has action in it. You, have, you come off of Jedi, obviously, you know, in the Star, you know, growing up on Star Wars and the first three Star Trek movies, uh, and you get to this one, it's like a, it's like a, it's an episode, it's a hour, two-hour-long episode of the TV show. Is that bad? Not necessarily. It didn't work for me as a six-year-old kid. So going into it now as a forty-year-old man, I was like, I'm, I'm really, I was kind of hoping to enjoy this one more than I did. Now, I did enjoy it more than I did as a kid, but that was more so for recognizing the humor aspect of it. But it just, it seemed, it's the plot. Again, I got to go back to the plot. And, you know, every movie gets a few passes for me. We've talked talk about that in the past. But this is just, this is dumb. This plot is so stupid. It's just, I can't say it enough. It's, oh, I'm going to try not to say it again on the podcast. <laughs> plot is fucking stupid. I failed. I already failed. Uh, Jesse, have you ever seen Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home? I don't think I've seen this. Okay, you don't need to. Unless <laughs> yeah. you want to be a Star Trek completist. Uh, I, would, I would never recommend this one. Again, and again, all you people scream, I can't believe he said that! Again, Star Trek is not my main series. I, you know, I, I, I do appreciate... Here's, let me say this. Star Wars is like you know, an action movie. Like, you know, and I've said this before on the podcast, the best sci-fi movies... Because what science fiction is meant to do is like, here's a modern issue that we're going to tell, but in a futuristic setting, because you have the science and you have the fiction, you know, Blade Runner's talking about the nature, very philosophical, uh, sunshine, Danny Boyle, sunshine. You got, you know, the nature of religion versus science in science. You know, it's, 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 it, it, it's, it's, 
if I could say it one more time, I'm going to shoot myself. Uh, you know, the best science fiction is a futuristic parable of a modern issue, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I'm sure you probably get it. I'm just over explaining it. Uh, and Star Trek does that better. Way Star Wars does not do that. Star Wars is just telling uh, the hidden fortress in uh, Kurosawa's hidden fortress, but in a galaxy far, far away. Uh, you know, it wears its influences on its sleeve. And I'm not bashing that because I fucking love Star Wars. Uh, but Star Trek always has a lot more, especially in, especially in the TV shows is where you see that. Uh, and in the first movie, I believe, if I remember correctly, you know, they were more, the TV shows much more like, oh, you know, they, I mean, they battle racism and all sorts of other, you know, modern issues, but in that futuristic setting where they have that, it, you know, that, uh, you know, way to handle, you know, that, that science fiction way of handling it to show like, you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm kind of getting tongue-tied myself here, thinking out my brain's hurting from trying. <laughs> to make sure I'm coming across correctly. But, you know, the Star Trek movies are much closer to Star Wars in terms of the storytelling. And this one is kind of different than that. So I do, you know, points for that being more, for lack of a better word, socially conscious. Not that, the, you know, this movie's pushing like saving the whales, you know. Uh, it's not a, they, they mention it of what's happened in the future. And it's not like, you know, they're, they're going out, you know, it's, it's not going over. This is, I'll tell you what, let me, let me say it like this. This is a good example of how to kind of mention an issue, but in a, in a, in a way that's not beating people over the head with it, if that makes sense. Uh, which is fine. You know, no, no, I have no, you know, this movie does not get a woke alert because it's not woke, you know, in terms of, again, tongue in cheek, everybody. You have to listen <laughs> to the podcast long enough to get that joke or reference, I should say, because it's not a joke because I didn't laugh. But uh, anyway, sorry, I'm just kind of drawing on and on. But regardless, uh, I don't like this movie. I, like, I, I will never, you know, when, I, when Violet's growing up and she, we're going through all the series, we're going through Lord, we go through Lord of the Rings, we watch them all. I'll even watch those stupid fucking Hobbit movies again with her. That's right. Don't care for The Hobbit. Should have been one movie. Uh, it would have been one great movie. Don't get me wrong. One great three-hour movie would have been fantastic. Uh, you know, but when, we get, when we're watching this and we get to this one, you know, if my daughter says that she likes this one the best, I might have to put her up for adoption no matter what age she is because I – this movie is just, uh, it's, I did not like it. It's, it's not, not, it's not that it's not well done. It's not that it's badly directed. It's just the story is ludicrous and the humor is not enough to compensate for just how silly the, the, the plot is, you know, captain, why don't we just go back and why don't you just go back in time and stop the whole fucking Klingon invasion and stop your son from dying and stop Genesis from, you know, why is that the answer to every problem in Star Trek? You know, that's the, that's what, there you go. That's, that's the bottom, that's the bottom line. You can time travel to save the whales to stop this threat. Oh, hey, uh, the Borg are coming, sir. Oh, great. Uh, tell you what, I'm just going to go back in time and stop them from being created. Be right back. Gotcha. Thanks, Captain Kirk. Done. You know, that's a, that's just a, uh, you know, you have to, you know, I, I would like it, I, instead of like, you know, them knowing how to time travel, like if we do this around the sun going at warp 9.7 whatever you know we can go back in time you know i like uh you know spoiler alert planet of the apes uh you know this somehow something happens and somebody goes back in time they don't know how they did it you know kind of stuck there which i like that you know that's you know, planet of the apes is a great example an alternate example of it you know like he's somehow you think you think he's on a different planet and like oh big again spoiler alert already said it the big reveal is he didn't go. He didn't go uh, to another planet. He's been on Earth the entire time, but in the far, far future, he time traveled forward. You know, 
that's a smart use of time travel in a movie. But this is just, oh, taking beloved characters and putting in them a, a future, beloved futuristic characters and putting them in a modern setting. Believe me, if Star Wars had more than, you know, uh, back in the day would have kept making sequels like Friday the 13th, this would have happened in Star Wars too. Because that's just a galaxy long, you know, far, far away. They would eventually, and a long time ago, we don't know how that long is, you know, we'd have X-Wings fighting in the Civil War. The, you know, that's how we really won the American <laughs> Revolution. We had lightsabers and blasters, and then they came and won that war for us, you know, Chewbacca and Han, and then went back to, you know, make the Kessel Run in less than 12 parsecs. You know, so yeah, anyway. Went it's, back and built the pyramids. <laughs> yeah. Ancient Aliens is all because of Star Wars. Because it was, you know, like we said before, it's like it's just a galaxy. It's it's not that it's not happened. It, you know, it's in the past. <laughs> it's our past, but uh, it was, you know, technically we look at it as a future. But yeah, not a big, not a fan of this one. It misses for me. It's a no for me, dog. I think there's so many, almost every except maybe Star Trek Beyond and Nemesis, are or what's the other? Insurrection. Those are probably the ones I like the least. And this is. This, not, this is definitely my least favorite of the OG uh, cast Star Trek movies, which, again, is completely opposite what most, you know, kind of the general consensus. A lot of people love it. I just, this is, I don't know. Eh. I understand what they were going for, but it just fails to me. So uh, some trivia, a good bit of it, some interesting stuff, too. So uh, William Shatner was originally reluctant to come back after doing the three movies. Uh, but Leonard Nimoy, one of the producers, they actually, at that point, when they knew when they thought Shatner wasn't coming back, they thought about doing a prequel with the characters at Starfleet Academy. But eventually they decided to offer Shatner a pay raise in order to convince him to return, which he got about $2 million for this movie. And as, but as a result of Shatner and Nimoy's raised salaries, Nimoy's was higher because he's also directing and got a story credit. Uh, Paramount Studios had to lower the budget of its brand new series, Star Trek The Next Generation. Oh so they took the budget away from the show to help make this movie, which, you know, everything worked out in the end. But, uh, yeah, if you go, if you ever go back or if you haven't watched Star Trek The Next Generation, you watch that first season, you can tell the production value is, you know, they're doing, they, they made it, they stretched it as far as they could. But, you, you know, as you see that, as you see the budget get bigger for that show, it absolutely shows on the screen. Uh, Nimoy said that after the dramatic nature of all the previous Star Trek, I think I said this earlier, uh, Star Trek films, that he wanted this one to lighten up the mood. And, yeah, it does lighten up the mood, but it's also... Fucking stupid plot. Uh, and then Gene Roddenberry. Well, let's also keep this in mind, too, though, is that time travel was a big thing in the mid-'80s because of a little film series called Back to the Future. Uh, mm-hmm. But just because it's popular doesn't mean it's right. Uh, but Gene Roddenberry, of course, creator of Star Trek, was pleased to hear that the film would have a time travel story as he'd been pushing for one uh, in one of the films and had long wanted a story in which the crew traveled back in time in an attempt to stop the assassination of Kennedy, but the producer felt the story would be anticlimactic with the audience knowing such a historical event could not be undone. So see, but but honestly, that plot sounds way better than going back in time to bring two whales to the future. Let's be and see, you know, and again, <laughs> they like just changed the president. You. Yeah, you could have just been a fictional president, even or like, or yeah, like they, a yeah, real oh, one that did live. Yeah, know? that's yeah, an, an excellent point. You know, it could have been. Well, that might be, I don't know, maybe a Secret Service will have to investigate him for that or something. <laughs> I don't know. But, uh, but you know, like, because, oh, yeah, well, obviously they saved Kennedy. You know, but, you know, I wouldn't be watching it knowing that Kennedy still has to get assassinated, you know, because this is a sci-fi movie. It isn't true. You know, you can do whatever you want. 
But to me, that would have been a much better plot because you could have brought in, you know, a philosophical conundrum of like, you know, Spock, like Captain, if we if we stop this from happening, you know, everything could change. You know, it's, it's Ray Bradbury's The Sound of Thunder, where the guy steps on a butterfly in the Jurassic era and everything is different in the world. You know, great story. You haven't read it, by the way. I just spoiled the end. Don't watch the movie. The movie sucks. Mm. Uh you know, so but to me that plot line sounds way better. So that you know whether and then you could even have them save him, in you know in the big climactic moment. But then it's like you know we, or they or they fake it. You know maybe they do something like you know through their hologram technology from Star Trek. Because you know that's the thing about Star Trek too. And again, I I do love Star Trek. I'm not hating on it, but let's be honest. You know you, you got to be able to pick apart the things you love to be to truly love them. Let's be honest. Uh, there's always some bizarre invention or formula or technology that solves every problem they come up with. We're out of gas, Captain. Well, what if we take the coffee maker's plutonium cores, run them through the, the cold sink water and the inversion therapy? Maybe we can generate enough heat to capture in the solar cells to then repurpose as negative ion energy to funnel into the battery chamber. You know what? That just might work. It's, it, that literally happens in Star Trek all the time. Uh, you know, they can't just figure things out like, you know, rationally i'm sure they I'm, again haven't seen every episode of every series i'm sure you know that's not the case every time but you know what i'm talking about uh but yeah the kennedy thing that'd been great i think that would have been you know but of course oh we don't want to we want to lighten it up a little bit you still could have those moments where they're back like not knowing what technology is which is kind of weird i think but i i guess but that's because you know me and you jesse we're kind of in that you know as a term the term zennial you know or x not zennial x ennial you know, to generate that micro generation to where like, we know how the old technology works. You know, we can do a VCR and a dial up phone and all that. A lot of kids these days don't, you know, so, but if, I mean, if you're an engineer, it seems like you would know how older technology worked. I don't know. Again, mm. we're just, we're just talking in circles here a little bit, but <laughs> yeah, that plot line with Kennedy going back to stop the Kennedy assassination would have been way better. No, it would have been deep. It would have had some thought provoking things. Uh, and it could have been done well. Cause just like Deadpool two, you know, uh, where he's like, yeah, uh, go back. And, they had the whole joke about going back and killing Hitler as a baby. And if you watch the end credits, you know, he's like, Deadpool is even like, I don't know. Can I kill? You know, he's not done anything yet. You know, it's it's a great philosophical question. Uh, and that's perfect for Star Trek. I don't want to see that in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Whoa, Chewie, who are all these guys with these red, with the symbol that looks like the Empire? You know, maybe we should stop him, Chewie. No, that's, that's fucking dumb. But in Star Trek, it can work because of the nature of the series. Uh, but anyway, can do that story. That yeah, eleven twenty two sixty three or whatever, and yeah. it was a show. Uh, oh yeah, so you got yeah. it up over there. Uh, yeah, on a, I think it was Hulu or whatever. Yeah. Pretty good. You know, I'm, of course, yeah. I'm a Stephen King stan. Uh, the show was great. Was now, dis- yeah. now disgraced actor James Franco. <laughs> now disgraced. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that was his. That was his time too. Like because he had that. He had uh, 127 hours. Disaster artist, you know, he was, he was really like kind of eclipsing or becoming like really big, uh, as opposed to just being, you know, Harry, I almost said Harry Potter, uh, Harry Osborne. <laughs> uh, but let's see, where was, uh, yeah, can you uh, some of the shots of the whales were in fact four foot long animatronic models. And honestly, when you watch it today in high definition, that's a big duh. Uh, they were created, and, and it's apparently at the time of filming, they were so realistic that after the release of the film, U.S. fishing authorities publicly criticized the filmmakers for getting, quote, too close to whales in the wild. Uh, the scenes involving these whales were shot in a pool underneath a parking lot at Paramount Studios, and the shot of the whales swimming past the Golden Gate Bridge was actually filmed on location and nearly ended in disaster 
when a cable got snagged on a nuclear submarine and the whales were towed out to sea. So some U.S. submarine was chilling in San Francisco Bay. It was just like, what? Sorry, we got two contacts and they're following us. It was these four foot long fucking whales. Mm-hmm. So that could be a movie in itself. Uh, it was originally supposed to have Eddie. This, I th- I th- this would have made it better. This would have been an amazing moment in science fiction, pop culture history. It was originally supposed to have Eddie Murphy instead of Catherine Hicks. Uh, Murphy was going to play the professor concerned with UFOs who spots the cloaking bird of prey at the Super Bowl. And apparently nobody believes him, obviously. Uh, Paramount declined this script for two reasons. They didn't want to combine their two most profitable franchises at the time, which was Star Trek and the recently released and soon sequel that came uh, for Beverly Hills Cop. And also at the time, Murphy had just signed on to do The Golden Child instead. Although this plot, like I can see this plot happening with a new Star Trek movie. (laughs) It's so... Uh, typical, you know, and in fact, there's a movie I just watched. I'll talk about into the Back to the Future segment. That's almost that exact same plot. Uh, so stay tuned. Uh, but according to George Takei, I love saying his last name, Takei, uh, mm-hmm. when McCoy, Scotty, and Sulu are standing in front of the building with the yellow page advertisement, a door opens and an Asian woman appears. And uh, it kind of ends at that point. But originally, that woman was supposed to be shouting for a young boy named. Hikaru, which is Sulu's first name, who would actually bump into Sulu running back to his mom. And Sulu would realize that this boy was actually his great, great, great grandfather. However, the young boy hired for the scene began to cry on the set before the shot, and they were unable to get him to do the scene. And with no one to replace him, the scene was never shot. Uh, but that would have been a cool little a, a little scene right there, I think. Uh, you know, I think that's kind of cool. Uh, where they're not, you know... And they, it, of course, depending on how they shot it would have made a difference. Don't get me wrong. But just like he just if, if, if it's all character based where Sulu hears the name, makes a realization. And then like, you know, you kind of you know, being kind of like an, uh, an Easter egg. If you know that, because let's be honest, most people don't know anything other than Captain Kirk, Scotty, Spock, Bones. And then, uh, oh, yeah, George, the, the, the you know. I'm, I'm using this as for illustrate the, the, the gay guy that's in the shit because you know, that's what everybody knows him as now because he's such a big advocate, you know, uh, ignorance in terms of like Star Trek, people not being familiar with it, you know, but I think that could have been a really cool little uh, if done, if I should preface it with that, if done right, would have been a cool little scene. Uh, this is here's your science, you know, science rewind uh, humpback. Uh, let's go to Professor uh, Whale Enormous. Uh, from Switzerland with this fun fact on humpback whales. Ah, yes, thank you, Trey. Uh, humpback whales move into an upside... I'm sorry, I'm done. Uh, <laughs> humpback whales move into an upside-down vertical position as depicted in the film when they sing. So I don't know if that means their sound's coming out of their buttholes or what. Uh, but anyway, facetiousness aside, the alien probe also moves into that same position when it replies to them. So are humpback whales aliens? And they just ripped off... <laughs> Uh, or took inspiration from Hitchhikers, as I mentioned earlier. I don't know, but that's kind of cool. You know, it's kind of like that scene in Deep Blue Sea where it's like they just swim backwards. Sharks don't swim backwards. That is true. Ninety-nine uh, percent of species of sharks. Uh, the film's success led William Shatner guest hosting SNL during its release, and it was during that appearance that Shatner performed the infamous Star Trek convention "Get a Life" sketch, where he was, you know, kind of shitting on Star Trek fans. Uh, the USS Enterprise uh, in the film. Because they go to they, they need like they need protons or something. You're kind of seeing it on where Jesse's watching this scene right now. Well, mm-hmm. the aftermath of that scene, I should say. Uh, but the the aircraft carrier they show 
is there's an aircraft carrier uh, aircraft carrier called the USS Enterprise. Uh, however, the one that they filmed in the scene that they say, Captain, it's called the Enterprise, uh, is actually the USS Ranger CV-61. The real Enterprise was out to sea during filming, probably doing some stuff for the nefarious Ronald Reagan. Wink, wink. Uh, it had been rumored that the character uh, of uh, Jillian Taylor was created due to demands from William Shatner to give Admiral Kirk a love interest. Uh, the Shat was said to be disappointed that the film series ignored the original series depictions of Kirk romancing female guest characters every episode. However, that is, I mean, what I just said was true, but the fact of uh, him having demands that there be a female romantic lead were not, that was actually uh, in the script well ahead of that. Uh, but it was because uh, that character was inspired by an actual female biologist who uh, was profiled in National Geographic about whales. So, you know, that little, you can't, you can't hold that against Shat. Uh, this was the first Star Trek film to be shown in the Soviet Union because, you know, the Soviets are in the news every day again. Well, not so much now after the Will Smith slap. You know, don't hear too much on Ukraine after that for some reason. Uh, that's weird. Uh, wink, wink. But uh, it was actually screened by the WWF. No, no, not, not the WWF that we love. The World Wildlife Federation, 1987, to celebrate the country's ban on whaling. Uh, so, oh, Russia, congratulations. You banned whales. Watch Star Trek f uh, 4. I almost said 5. That's next week, Trey. Uh, however, uh, Leonard Nimoy and the producer were there for the screening, and they were impressed that the reaction of the audience was similar to that of American audiences, demonstrating the universal appeal of the Star Trek franchise. Uh, the captain of the USS Saratoga, seen in the film's beginning, is the first female captain ever seen in a Star Trek story. And actually, the success of this film led to offers by several television networks to produce a new Star Trek series, which we hinted at earlier, with the original cast. But however, Paramount had just given the green light to produce the syndicated Star Trek The Next Generation, starting in 80, with a premiere date of 87, starring an all-new cast. And we would not get another woman captain, female captain, until 1995 with the premiere of Star Trek Voyager starring Kate Mulgrew as Captain Janeway. Uh, so there's that. Uh, the film was released shortly after Star Trek The Next Generation was first officially announced. Not premiered, but announced. So as a result, this film technically provided the first connection between the Star Trek films and The Next Generation as the new Enterprise revealed at the end of the film is revealed with an A suffix. It's the you know NCC-17. Forgive me, Star Trek fans. I don't remember. 17-01... I think dash a uh, suffix, which thus therefore establishes the pattern of like we see in Star Trek, the next generation of it being the enterprise D uh, it would also be subsequently used to promote uh, the next generation as it was first released on home video at the time of the next generation debut and featured a promotional trailer for the series in front of it on VHS. And finally, the film makes brief reference to peace talks between the Klingons and the Federation, which foreshadows in the next generation world where the formerly hostile Klingons have, of course, become allies. And that's how we get the great, great, amazing character of Lieutenant Commander Worf on the next generation. Uh, at about an hour and a minute into the film, McCoy hands Scotty the computer's mouse. Uh, I mentioned before, that's one of the few times in the entire series or franchise, I should say, that you can see that uh, Scotty's missing that finger, which was shot off during the invasion of Juno Beach on D-Day. Uh, this is the only film that features Kirk saying, Scotty, beam me up. Of course, he never has ever uttered the words, beam me up, Scotty. This is the closest that it's ever come to that, and this is the first instance of it. And it's the only Star Trek film where nobody dies uh, between Star Trek 1 and all the way up to Star Trek Beyond in terms of uh, – actually, that's all of them. Not, yeah, because Star Trek – yeah, that's all Star Trek films. So pretty much every movie, every Star Trek film, 
No, this is the only one where not a single person or whale die <laughs> during it. So it's a total G movie, except for the profanity, pretty much. Right. I thought this was pretty funny. Uh, in the scene where Sulu's checking out the Huey, the helicopter, uh, he was supposed to jump in and basically steal the helicopter. <laughs> Uh, but George Takei had just run the San Francisco Marathon and literally was too sore to jump into the helicopter. So as you see in the final film, he's just talking to the guy. And then later it just shows him flying the helicopter. So I guess, he, you know, you put the pieces together for that. And I thought this was funny. Uh, the boombox carrying punk played by Kirk R. Thatcher makes another even briefer cameo 31 years later. Not in another Star Trek movie, but in Spider-Man Homecoming in 2017, he's, as this same character is standing next to a hot dog vendor who interacts with Spider-Man and he's still carrying a boombox, and he's revealed that his name is character's name is crashed. Therefore the MCU and Star Trek take place in the same universe, which is dumb only because Disney doesn't own the rights to Star Trek. That's paramount. They own the rights to Star Wars. Uh, so there's that. Uh, and it's uh, the opening of this film, which is, you know, a grim reminder, I should say at least, is dedicated to the seven astronauts who died in the explosion of the space uh, shuttle Challenger on January 28th in 86, you know, that same year. And uh, in a strange, I guess, I don't know if you want to call it a coincidence or I guess you'd call it that. I guess the only thing you can call it. During the 70s, NASA actually employed Michelle Nichols to help recruit minority and female candidates into the astronaut training program, which pretty much was dominated just by white male recruits. And it actually uh, was pretty much her, her involvement was pretty much directly responsible for, or at least partly responsible, according to the article. Let me read it correctly. Uh, for NASA Group 8, the 1978 trainee group that included Sally Ride, the first American woman in space, a colonel, I'm going to ma massacre this first name, Guyon Bluford, the first African-American in space, which we talked about, I believe, during Black History Month. Uh, Dr. Judith Resnick, the first Jewish American in space, Lieutenant Colonel Ellison Onizuka, the first Asian American in space, and Dr. Ronald McNair, the second African American ever to go to space. And four of the astronauts, uh, Resnick, McNair, Onizuka, and Lieutenant Colonel Francis Richard Scobie, were recruited with her assistance, died in the Challenger disaster. So, little, uh, not creepy, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, a very interesting uh, series uh, circle of events right there involving that all for all for the greater good, the greater good, so to speak, mm. in terms of space travel. Uh, score wise, again, I don't like this is my least favorite Star Trek. Well, maybe not my least favorite. I really didn't like uh, Nemesis and Beyond. Honestly, I'm not sure. After next week's episode in the Back to the Future, segment, I'm going to rank get my ranking of all the Star Trek movies. Uh, but yeah, this is definitely not one of my favorites. I will never watch this one again until. Like I said, Violet wants to watch all the Star Trek movies if that's her thing. Uh, but I give it a six. You know, it's it's not it's not terrible. It's not bad, but it's not good and it's not great. It's straight up, you know. Uh, it's got some great jokes. It's got some jokes that land, but it's it's neither funny enough nor, for lack of a better word, Star Trekky enough to get it out of mediocrity for me personally. So I hope I've explained my position enough for the Trekkers and Trekkies not to, you know, Google search me and murder me. Uh, but I think I did. I feel like I did. Let me know. AsiaVisited at gmail.com. And in the world, real world, if I could talk, this movie released November 26, 1986, uh, five days earlier, keeping with last week's theme, the Iran-Contra affair, 
That was the day Oliver North and his secretary, Fawn Hall, started shredding documents which implicated them in selling weapons to Iran and channeling the proceeds to help fund the Contra rebels in Nicaragua. That's right, because every president does bad shit uh, or is involved in bad shit. <laughs> Put it to you that way. Mm. Uh, and then born uh, two days before Jimmy Graham, American football player, of course, uh, part of the uh, Super Bowl winning New Orleans Saints. America's team that year, <laughs> for yeah. us at least, of course, being uh, from Baton Rouge in that area. That, the Saints were our team. That was our year. And far cry from today what that team was, but hopefully uh, we can get somewhere close back to it. Uh, and then uh, died on November uh, – let's say again. This was November 26th, four days before. Uh, Scott, the late – I'm sorry. Well, he's late now, but the great – uh, Scatman Crothers passed away. Of course, uh, The Shining. That's cold shining. Uh, Scavenger Hunt, you know, he was in something else. Uh, Silver Streak. I mean, great actor. Uh, passed away. Uh, born in 1910, died in 1986. Uh, and then, uh, let's see, that was on the 22nd. Uh, the movie came out on the 26th. Three days after the movie, Cary Grant passed away in 1986. And then about 8, 9, 10, 11 days after that, and the only reason I mention it because it's a big deal because of the biopic that came out recently. But Desi Arnaz, the Cuban-born American actor, band leader, musician, and television producer and star with his wife, that's right, Lucy, passed away December 2nd, 1986. So notable birth and several noticeable deaths death mm. of old Hollywood. Kind of the rule of three, too, happening right there, too, with three really big names passing away mm. relatively close to each other. Uh, back to the future this week. I mentioned I wanted to... Uh, science fiction trope I wanted to tie into. Yeah, I watched a little movie called Moonfall. Uh, with First off, it's got a great cast. It's got Patrick Wilson, Holly Berry, and the guy that plays uh, Tarly from Game of Thrones. Sorry, I don't know your name because I only know you as Tarly <laughs> from uh, Game of Thrones. The first thing I've seen you in since then. But basically, it's I can tell you everything about the movie. It's a Roland Emmerich film. There you go. That's all you need to know. Uh, of course, Roland Emmerich, he's known for his Destroying the World movies, You know, Independence Day uh, what was it? 2010, whatever, or whatever it was with John Cusack. Uh, that's his whole big thing. And this movie is the dumbest fucking movie <laughs> I've seen in a long, long time. It's like two hours and 10 minutes. All right, so you already know my rant about that. It's too fucking long for its own good. Uh, but the plot, like the trailer, like I, this movie, this, this might've could have really been a really fun hour and a half movie. But there's so much insignificant storylines that ha take place in it that it's it's so fucking dumb. This movie is terribly stupid. I made it to the end. I don't really necessarily wish I did. I got better for doing it. <laughs> but uh, of course, it got panned, and the, you know, the, the trailers are ridiculous looking. Uh, but it, it is bad. It is absolutely bad. The, you, you, if you thought I thought the plot for Star Trek Four was ludicrous, this kicks it to eleven with just how stupid the plot is. And I mean, I mean, plot holes bigger than the craters on the moon in this film. Uh, is it dumb fun? Not really. It's just dumb. But if you you know if you want to just check your brain out and maybe have fun analyzing a movie that is terrible. This is a movie for that. You know, that's a very specific genre, so to speak, and audience to cater to. But that's what this movie is. It's it's stupid. It's absolutely stupid. But it was fun. It was it was more fun to you know have a drink and complain about it while watching it than actually watching it. If that makes any sense. 
Uh, also, I finally finished after 100 hours and two minutes. 100%ed Horizon Forbidden West on PS5. Fantastic game. The ending was great. Uh, the only complaint I really have with that game is that, uh, you know, kind of like Mass Effect, the Dragon Age, and a lot of RPGs, you know, you have like, you have kind of downtime when you go back to your base and you can talk to your, you know, your other characters in the story mode. And each of those characters has like 50,000 dialogue options. And the dialogue in that game is never, that's my complaint about Horizon, the story, the storytelling. Great mm-hmm. story, but the way that it's told is just so, every single character in the world talks, you know, like at half speed, if that makes sense. Like, Jesse, if we were, t- like earlier, we were talking about the great song, uh, I forgot the name of it, Jesse. I like the rain. <laughs> uh, yeah, I hate I hate the rain. I, l- I love the rain. What was it? I like I the, rain. the rain. I like the rain. Thank you. YouTube it. On YouTube. You'll thank, you'll, you'll thank us or curse us later. Yeah, HBB, y'all. But, uh, you know, like, ima- imagine a conversation, you know, movie like Tarantino. People love his dialogue. A, yes, because it's a good dialogue, but also it's, the, it's, you know, half a dialogue is the delivery, too. In this game, and I'm nitpicking. Again, I do love the game. I give it a straight-up nine. It's a great sequel. But it's like, you know, you're, you're learning about somebody's quest, so it's like, I see you're sitting here. You're alone. Did something happen? And then, like, they're like, I was hunting in the forest about a mile north of here. A machine came out of nowhere and took my husband away from me. Like, that, like, literally, that, like, that's not, now come on, like, pick it up, pick it up. This is too slow. Mm. Uh, and I'm the kind of person when I play a game, I don't like to skip dialogue because I might be missing a story point or this might be a big quest or, you know, if you played The Witcher, you know, you don't want to skip the dialogue. You want to listen to everything. That's this game's crutch. You have all these side quests and uh, story points. Uh, and it's just, again, great, great story. Love the story. But, like, they needed a script writer to come in and, like, streamline the dialogue and the story. Uh, so, yeah, that's the bottom line about Horizon Zero Dawn. Or, sorry, Forbidden West. Zero Dawn's the first one because... Mm-hmm. Trey said so. Anyway, Jesse, have you had time this week to watch anything new, see anything new, play anything new, listen to anything new, any or all of the above? I wish I did, but I didn't. Oh, uh, well, don't watch Moonfall. Yeah. Skip it. Will not be. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, did, I, I remember we saw the trailer, I think, what was the last movie? Before, like, No Way Home, and I was just, like, in the theater, like, this is going to be the dumbest fucking thing ever, but I'm here for it. Uh, so to speak. And then, yeah, it, I was absolutely fucking right. Not to toot my own horn, but, uh, toot, toot. Anyway, of course, uh, we did get an email, but it was mainly just to say, Hey, the last episode cut off, but I'm going to give, I still got to say thank you, Ryan, for letting us know. And of course, Ben, uh, Ryan sent an email. Ben sent me a message on Facebook about it. Uh, so yeah. So now you can go back to where you left off unless you want to listen to the episode again, which I'm going to say, maybe you should. I don't know. Ah, never mind. It was about Team Wolf 2. Fuck that shit. Yeah. Go listen to the part that you didn't listen to. And the, the wrestling part was the best part of the episode because Team <laughs> Wolf 2 sucks a lot. Teen Wolf dick. I don't know. Whatever. I don't know where to go with that. So anyway, but uh, yeah, if you want to send an email, if, if this episode cuts off before you get to this point, 80srevisited at gmail.com on Facebook, 80srevisited podcast on Instagram, 80s underscore revisited. Uh, of course, shout outs our good friend John Lafayette, Kate with his Cajun Toy Review channel on YouTube. And of course, Ben, the Tasmanian Devil Wyatt with TCW in Tasmania. Uh, so yeah, leave a review, leave a comment, let us know how we're doing. And again, if you, if you think this podcast sucks, that's totally fine. I'm not going to argue with you. 
Uh, <laughs> but if you want to leave a review about it, just tell us why. And I'm not saying Trey's annoying or anything like that. You explain, you know, uh, have strength in your convictions, <laughs> so to speak, to loosely quote Interview with the Vampire. Uh, but yeah, next week, uh, again, this isn't sequelitis, even though I guess I technically could have made it sequelitis because these are both sequels. Yeah. But we're just finishing out the uh, Star Trek uh, series. I just kind of put that one to bed by covering Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. And spoiler alert, I as a, even as a kid, and haven't watched it yet for the podcast, but I've always really liked this one. Again, we'll talk about it more next week, but it's got a little bit, it's got that philosophical nature to it, which I do really enjoy in my science fiction. And I, again, I think that's a hallmark of good science fiction, is making you think about your world today while watching a world of tomorrow. And either hoping, you know, hoping for change or seeing what some consequences could lead to, if that makes any sense at all. So until then, everybody, I think we covered everything, Jesse. I think I got everything. Yep. Uh, until then, I remain. Actually, at the, I, I've been demoted, as in the movie. I'm now Captain <laughs> Trey T. Harris. Jesse Sedgley. Cowabunga, Captain. I guess I should, I guess I should go. I believe the phrase is cowabunga. That'll be more Spockish. <laughs> Cowbong, everybody. Good night. <laughs>